I'm Jennifer Reed. I'm a registered dietitian. I'm a certified diabetes care and education specialist, and I'm a former missionary. And if I were to describe myself, and if others were to describe me, they might describe me as if Buddy the Elf and Leslie Nope, a character from the Parks and Recreation TV show, were to get married and have a baby, I'd be the result. You see, as excited as Buddy the Elf is about Santa, I'm that excited about Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, I know him. I know him. I know him. I know him. You want to know him? And then when it comes to my work as a dietitian, I'm also pretty passionate about that, just as Leslie Nope was passionate about parks. And so I really try to give all that I can with Jesus and also with my job. But about two years ago, God really began to speak to my heart. And he really started to show me that it wasn't just about the science. It wasn't just about how I could help people just sort of, you know, based on what I was, I knew from research and reading in my education, but how did his word fit into our health and our relationship with food? So I began diving into God's word as it relates to food and our bodies. And I also became a nutrition research junkie. Yes, you might set up watching um, fun videos about cats. I would set up late at night, and I still do, looking at research, just combing through so I could know as much as possible and be as sound as possible. And so the results started to be pretty significant. So I started seeing transformations in my patients and, and, and how they related to the information that we were talking about. But it also started to transform me as an educator and someone who is counseling and helping people to make lifelong changes that were vital to their health. And so I would notice that I'd have women, even grown men, sitting across from me and crying because they couldn't believe how somebody was connecting the dots, connecting scripture with food and nutrition science to make more sense so that, you know, we don't have to always worry about eat this, don't eat that, this food's good, this food's bad. But really, in God's eyes, all food is good, right? Okay, well, might have a couple exceptions, but for the most part, food is good. And so it's, it's not that we can't eat. It's not that we couldn't eat. And so as I began to do all this research and I began to do this with my patients, I really started to think, well, maybe this is bigger, Lord, because what we see, what I see, and this is an observation, a general observation. It's not a judgment. It's not a blame and shame. It's just a general observation that maybe, just maybe, we, especially as godly women, have allowed the world to tell us who we are, that we should look this way, weigh this amount, and always have the right look. And we're faced with it every single day. Social media has kind of made us all, well, kind of like glamour shot junkies, right? Always looking for that best photo. I mean, honestly, some people have died on vacations trying to get the photo, right? So we're constantly looking for those likes, that satisfaction to fill that God-shaped hole that every single one of us were born with. But it's a God-shaped hole, not a donut hole, right? So nothing's going to fill that but Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So when I started looking at all of these things, because I'm like, well, wait a second, 
food is cultural, it's social, it's spiritual, it's a lot of things, it's ethnic. There's so many things that food is that does not make it bad. We don't want to tell entire food groups, um, take entire food groups away from people. You know, we're not going to tell everybody in Louisiana that red beans and rice Mondays are no longer going to happen because that's probably not going to happen. So what we want to do is be healthy. And part of that is having a healthy relationship with food. And it feels like sometimes through the world's view of us, we've spent so much time chasing those things, the perfect weight, the perfect clothes, the perfect hair, the perfect everything, when maybe we should be spending a little more time chasing God and that relationship with Him and having Him who created us in His perfect image define who we are. And there helping us to really chase after our purpose because the people that God has for us to help, they're hurting, they're lost, they're lonely. Some of them are hungry and they don't care how we look. They only care that we care. And so I'm hoping you'll join me on this journey. And in just a few minutes, I'm gonna bring in my absolutely uh, amazingly beautiful friend, Ashley Burnett. And we're gonna have a talk about the spiritual implications of our uh, unhealthy relationship with food. Because as I tell my patients, we sometimes need that spiritual health checkup to go with that physical health checkup. But let's dive a little bit into some of the science and, and what does nutrition science and research actually say. So one of the things that leads us to an issue in America is, you know, this weight stigma. I see it every day with my patients. So the social devaluation and denigration of people perceived to carry excess weight leads to prejudice, negative stereotyping, and discrimination towards those people. And so another way that we could look at this is weight discrimination has actually increased 66% for women in the last decade. So we actually experience more weight discrimination than even weight discrimination. And that leads to other issues, okay? So here we go, the newest data from NHANES. 39.6% of adults and 18.5% of children aged 2 to 19, sorry, um, have obesity. So the state of obesity report noted that these are the highest rates ever documented. Yet we have the most fad diets we've ever had. Every single day, there's a new fad diet. Yet we see obesity and diabetes rates increasing at alarming amounts. So maybe we might want to start to look at things a little bit differently. So one of the problems also is that in the medical community, the science community, we have what we call the BMI or the body mass index. You're probably all familiar with this because your doctor uses this to sort of assess your health status. But in 1972, when scientist Ansel Keys actually published several papers on the BMI and it began to gain popularity, that's when it really started to become, it overtook the Metropolitan Life Insurance um, heights and weights, which is what we had up until this point. But Keyes stated that the BMI was meant to assess populations in epidemiological studies only, not individuals. So we now know that it's not 100% accurate. It's not an accurate picture, truly, of a person's health status. But it is free, and it is easy, and it is still what we use to this day. So how has society changed, and could that also be playing a role? Well, Scott Cahan, director of the National Center for Weight and Wellness, 
stated this, in America, the unhealthiest foods are the tastiest foods, the cheapest foods, the largest portion foods, and the most available foods and the most fun foods. Now, I'm going to disagree a little bit there because I know some really fun foods that would not be in that category, but I'm a little weird like that. I kind of like some of those healthier foods. But anyway, so on top of that, we have the busiest lives that we've ever had. So often I find people are skipping meals, sometimes skipping two meals a day, only getting one meal a day, or they're going through the drive all the time because we don't have time always to cook. We're not spending too much time in the kitchens. Our stress levels are at an all-time high. And that was prior to this pandemic, right? So we're leading very stressful, very busy lives. If you have children, sometimes, you know, they're in 5, 10, 15, I don't know, 20 different sports. So we're not even cooking as much. We're not sitting down at the table as much. So our lives are so different and so stressful and so hectic that that's got to also be playing a role. We cannot just say, in fact, let's just resolve this right here now. Bread and potatoes did not cause our issues in America. I hate to hurt anybody's feelings because we've been on that bandwagon for a long time and it felt good to say that potato caused all of my problems. Well, maybe not. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. So society has changed and it has made things more difficult for us to actually just eat healthy, regular meals, okay? So the USDA also reports that food consumption, calories, individual calories per person increased 20% from 1980 to 2000. And that was partially also in thanks to meat consumption, not just carbohydrates, but look at that drink. There was almost a 500% increase and the calories that we were getting from those drinks. I mean, it's really easy and it, it psychologically does something for us when we can go through McDonald's and get this large sweet tea for only a dollar. Psychologically, I'm, I'm saying it, that, that's a good deal. But that good deal has been costing us in the way of our health. So we have to sort of get back to some normal thought process when it comes to portions. So Tracy Mann, so let's look at, okay, well, what about diets? Because we do have so many diets, but there's a vicious cycle that is coming or does come with dieting. There are actual biological changes that take place in our bodies that don't always promote the best weight or the healthiest weight, okay? So yes, yes, agreed, we all agree. Any diet, even the craziest of diets can promote weight loss, but that's really over the short term. In fact, 80%, so research suggests that roughly 80% of people who shed a significant portion of their body fat will not maintain that degree of weight loss for 12 months. And according to one meta-analysis um, intervention studies, dieters regain on average more than half of what they lose within two years. The biggest loser showed us that. So when we went back and did some research on them and looked at them, all but one had gained their weight back because they literally had changes that took place in their body that made it almost impossible for them to keep their weight off 
coming off of the level of physical activity and needing to ever do it. So when they resumed sort of somewhat normal life, which we all do, they couldn't maintain that weight loss. So if we're looking to diets, we're also kind of looking for some trouble, right? So Tracy Mann, Tracy Mann, um, who teaches psychology at the University of Minnesota, has been studying eating habits and self-control and dieting for more than 20 years. And she wrote the book, Secrets from the Eating Lab. And she sort of pinpoints some of those areas, those biological areas that are taking place. And so one of those really is neurological changes, okay? So we have real neurological changes. So she states, when you're dieting, you actually become more likely to notice that food. So basically your brain becomes overly responsive to food, especially the tasty looking food, the stuff you're trying not to eat. But you don't just notice it, it actually begins to look more appetizing and tempting. It has increased reward value now to us. So the things you're trying to resist become harder to resist. So already, if you think about it, it's kind of not fair. We're already setting ourselves up, or we as practitioners are setting you up for failure. Then hormonal changes. So real hormonal changes take place. So when we lose weight, we have a decrease in those particular hormones that actually help us with that fullness in the society. So if we're decreasing them because the hormones that make us feel hungry um, then are going to obviously increase, right? So the hormones that help us feel satisfied decrease. The hormones that make us feel hungry increase. And so we become more likely to feel hungry and less likely to feel full full given the same amount of food. Again, that's kind of setting us up for failure, not success. Then we have biological changes. Literally, our metabolism slows down. So our body uses calories in the most efficient way possible. Now that sounds like what it's supposed to do. That sounds like a good thing. But in reality, it's not. Because when your body finds a way to run itself on fewer calories, there tends to be more left over. And those get stored as fat, which is exactly the opposite of what we want to happen. So diet's not the most effective way to be trying to promote long-term. Yes, anyone can lose weight in the short term. But the medical community and our society at large is only ever and only has ever been looking at the short term. Why are we not focused on the long term? Because we're living past six months, right? The hope is. So what happens six months later? I can't tell you how many people come into my office who have had bariatric surgery and they're back in my office because they gain their weight back or they gain part of it back. They didn't even have to gain all of it back, but now their diabetes is back or sometimes the diabetes never went away. But the one thing they all tell me, it didn't change the heart and it didn't change my brain. And they don't and diets don't either. And especially if we're talking about that spiritual aspect, we're not changing that because food has become our friend. It's our security. It's our comforter. It's sometimes our pleasure. It's a quick source of happiness. But isn't that the same things that Jesus is supposed to be to us? Isn't he wanting and desiring to be our security, our friend, our comforter? our pleasure? Isn't he wanting to provide all that for us? Because at the bottom of that ice cream container, whatever was bothering us, that depression, that sadness, that loneliness, that insecurity is still there, right? And that's not 
because of that ice cream or necessarily chemical in that ice cream that's making me eat that. No, 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 no. That's on us. And if it's a heart issue, well, what does scripture say about that? Isn't that really an issue of disobedience? And if we're disobedient when it comes to the food that we eat, what other areas might we be disobedient in? What other areas could be controlling us instead of us being obedient to Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to help control us? So there's a lot to impact there, and we will talk about the spiritual implications a little bit later. So, okay, we keep going. So diets, diets not working. They're actually failing us. So let's look at weight stigma in the medical community because I think that's playing a role as well. So weight stigma is a real thing in the medical community, and it is particularly prevalent and detrimental in the healthcare settings. So with documented high levels of anti-fat bias in healthcare providers means patients with obesity are receiving poor care and having worse outcomes. I also see that all the time in diabetes. So patients who are big, bigger or overweight or obese, um, they're really only told to lose weight or, or they just, they don't get the treatment or the care. They're, no, they're not focusing on anything else just focused on town and lose weight. Now, I will say this. This might be a good time to inter, intersect this. If we're overweight or we're obese or we're having extra weight issues that could be detrimental to our health, that could be causing chronic disease conditions because we're not eating well, we're not eating healthier foods, we're eating those more unhealthy foods more often than we should, or we're not getting in a physical activity, not even walking. Okay, we need to have a conversation about that. There is an issue there, but if we're overweight, but we're eating well and our insides are good, our labs are good, you know, our heart's healthy, blood sugar's healthy, blood pressure's healthy, and we're walking, at least we're exercising, we're not just sitting down. Okay, well, that's okay. And it doesn't really matter what is on the outside. It doesn't matter about my weight. What matters most is that I'm healthy on the inside. And we have to start going back to there. So the doctors, medical community, and I'm not blaming them. I'm not shaming them. I'm just saying we need to take that weight stigma out. And we need to take blaming and shaming people with weight issues out of the medical community and our society. Because other research has shown and pointed to the fact that when we have that in society and the medical community, we actually are contributing to their obesity we're actually contributing to their eating disorders because now they've got this terrible stigma, this blame and shame. So we have to take that away if we're ever going to be helpful, if we're ever going to make any real strides with weight in America. So could it possibly be something as simple? And we're going to see this chart. Could it really be that we're just been consuming more calories? I mean, hello, we have buffets. We got buffets in the 80s. Whoever thought all you could eat at one meal was a good idea. It's like, I feel like somebody should be standing there when they're taking you to the table. And as you're walking to your table, somebody should be back there going, dead man walking. Because really, we're going to eat all we can eat at one meal. And that's not going to be the only meal we eat. And we expected that no, it doesn't matter if you're eating potatoes or not. If you're eating all you can eat of anything, that's not a good idea. So we could just be talking about 
the fact that we take in more calories than we burn. So is it possible to have health at every size and health for all people? Sure. But again, it starts with being healthy on the inside. If we just focused on the health of a person on the inside and stopped always looking at the outside of a person and their weight, then we might actually be getting somewhere in America because honestly, diabetes and obesity are on the rise. Showed that earlier. And chronic diseases related to diabetes are on the rise. They're not going down. So we gotta find a better way to be healthier all over. And so one of my favorite people to follow is a guy named Kevin Hall. Okay, so the problem is that saying that is not fun, it's not exciting, it's not hip, it's not cool, it's not exotic like saying it's because of my microbiome that I'm overweight. In reality, even the insulin hypothesis has not been proven. Kevin Hall, who is um, over um, the Diabetes and um, Digestive and Kidney Disease uh, National Institute, actually tested that. And he found it really doesn't work that way. It's very minimal. Any impact on carbohydrates and our insulin and that whole cycle that people thought would just keep us overeating, very minimal. And don't you think that by now, if we had had one way to break down or pick apart or add this, add that to those micronutrients, we'd have found it by now. We'd have found that successful algorithm that works for all people for all time, but we haven't. So maybe instead we need to look at what's normal. So instead of looking for a new diet, a new fad, what if we just concentrated on redefining normal? Normal in our brains, normal on our plates, normal in our society. Because right now, large portions everywhere, large uh, food, just all of that is everywhere. And that is what we see as normal. But we can't ever get there if we can't all agree, and that includes the medical community and all of us, on the fact that we need to redefine normal and not just keep reaching for fats. So let's bring in Ashley for a quick uh, conversation. My beautiful friend, Ashley. Hey. 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 So I I have, I, I just wanted to get your opinion because you and I talk all the time. Ashley and I talk uh, all the time during work. Like if I need a word of encouragement, if I need a laugh, if I need something, I go to Ashley. And we will sometimes just, we're like having church at work and it's so much fun. I just love uh, talking with her. And so how how does society, how is your, how's it been for you as far as society, you know, as far as how you think society views weight or what's been your, um, what's been your experiences with, with that? Yes, I have plenty of experiences. Um, being, I have been overweight um, the majority of my life. I'm a big girl. Um, and, you know, sometimes society is not okay with it. Um, so mm-hmm. I've definitely heard all of the things. Uh, you're cute for a fat girl. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you got such a pretty face, but your body, but this is and this. Um, for me personally, I think I was able to 
kind of miss the sting of a lot of that because I had a mother and a father who constantly affirmed me um, when good. I was growing up. My daddy made me say affirmations about myself. Uh, my mama oh, always com complimented me and just made it clear that I was um, a beautiful girl inside and out. She made that clear. So uh, my self-esteem was kind of intact. Um, but I definitely think that even in that, it's kind of like you think in your head, like, you know, am I good enough? Um, yeah. What What is it about my body that really offends you so much that you feel like that you yeah. can say these certain things or come to these conclusions based off of assumptions that you really don't know? Um, so it's definitely been, been a journey. It has been a journey, but I definitely um, encourage women uh, of any size, <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, but especially of a larger size, to love yourself. Yes, love absolutely. Yourself, no matter what your health goals may be, um, if mm -hmm. you want to get healthy, I'm on a healthy, you know, journey. So I get that, but yeah. definitely making sure that it's Christ-centered and not low self-esteem centered. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And so Jesus said in John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life, not the meat of fat. Um, whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so when we talk about food and our bodies and scriptures, now, if you start reading into some of the scriptures about uh, gluttony, they get pretty strong worded. <laughs> so Proverbs 23, 2 and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Yikes. Um, and then Philippians 3.19, Paul warned that their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame with mindsets on earthly things. So um, I think that we have skipped over that in the church. We've just sort of set gluttony on the side as a, um, you know, like a, okay, I'm not doing this. It's just a pie, Lord. Um, but he's got some pretty strong language related to that. And so, um, um, so in our short time that we have left, because I don't want to miss this, um, you know, food is our, has become an idol. It's become, you know, we are very gluttonous and, and all those things. And that makes for an unhealthy spiritual relationship because we don't have a right relationship with food. And then that makes, you know, the physical um, unhealthy as well. But I also wanted to get to, because you brought to my attention, and so I'll have to get to these other verses on another podcast. Uh, so let's talk Zach Efron and um, yes. Blue Zones. Because I was so interested. I was so interested when you uh, had me go to those, and I got to find my notes on that. I took notes. I sat and I watched that. Because now I'm not a fan of celebrities, you know, sort of endorsing anything. OK, right. because let's keep in mind, they're acting. They're not actually scientists or nutritionists or doctors. They just they just play them. But Zach Efron didn't do that. So in right. so Blue Zones. So if we talk about Blue Zones, so um, there are seven places in the world where people on average live longer than anybody else in the world. They have the longest or the largest number of centenarians. And um, so he, Zach Efron, and his friend goes to Sardinia, Italy, and met up with the two scientists that were doing most of this work in this conversation. And I love it because Zach Efron is just like, what? I've spent my whole life eating nothing but protein, and you're telling me, you know, all these other things? Because if you look at all these blue zones, um, all these places, it's really 
low protein and high carb diets that they're eating. Now, again, it's not, you know, they're not eating carbs in the form of potato chips, um, but it is lower protein, higher carbs. And the two researchers actually pinpointed out about, um, you know, the TOR gene. So protein's relationship and the, the huge consumption or huge amounts of protein actually giving us a fourfold increased risk for developing cancer. And I did look up that research and it's fascinating because it's the exact opposite of everything that we hear and see in the United States. And it was so funny because the one researcher, Dr. Longo, he kept saying over and over again, um, you know, they, they sort of pinpointed America as it, saying it was very difficult to translate their uh, studies and research to us because we are so focused on, you know, uh, this protein thing and these diets and these people um, are living so much longer than us and they're living it disease-free. Right. And he also pointed to the fact that celebrities do a bad thing. You know, when he told Zac Efron, he was like, you know, so when you're a celebrity and you got 20 million followers, you have a responsibility to not be feeding junk. And so we can't be, you know, we cannot base our health. And I'm so shocked that we do that just because a celebrity says, oh, you need to drink this because look at me, really, who are we kidding ourselves? They didn't get that way just by drinking that, please. Didn't happen. Right. Um, so but we fought for it. We believe it. And um, it was also about the whole entire life, though. And that's where Jesus comes into play, because it's about that peace. You know, they're not climbing ladders. They're not trying to get more. You and I have had that conversation as well about both of us would like to kind of live on, you know, uh, off the grid, you know, get this little yeah. barn dominium. Um, yes. It's not about having more. It's about, you know, just living a good life. And I right. love that. And so then nothing's bad. We get to enjoy everything in portion to what is good for us. And I love that. I absolutely love that. So I encourage everyone to go and watch. It's uh, Zach Efron's um, Down to Earth, and it's episode four. Yes, Down to Earth. Yeah. Yeah. I can't speak for anything else. Uh, Yeah, actually, and her sister, they turned me on to it because they they, they really like Zach. Um, And I, I, I have to say, after watching this, I have a non-romantic uh, love for him as well. Because <laughs> this whole entire episode just really changed my thoughts and view of Zac Efron, you know? Yes. And uh, so it was really done well. And the people, you know, that cute little man who's 98 years old and he walks up this mountain, this hill three times a day. No, um, no problems. He's just like almost skipping up that hill, you know? And I, I'd be walking that hill going, can I have a minute? <laughs> So, um, okay. So I think we are pretty much out of time. Uh, oh man, thank you, Ashley, so much. Um, yeah, and you have a t-shirt on the way. Um, a t-shirt is coming to you. I've got it ordered. So um, I do have a whole line of t-shirts uh, that are faith-based nutrition uh, related. And uh, every guest is going to get a t-shirt. And so um, I hope to get you back in our building soon because I miss you so, so much. Um, and... All of Ashley's information is up. Ashley has her own business with a business partner. Um, it's Saved Sassiness. It's a nonprofit. So go and check out her information. That's available on the website as well. And join me uh, in a couple of weeks, October 2nd, where I'm going to have Chef Tam, owner of the Underground Cafe. And she's going to talk about her spiritual journal journey from soul food to vegan. So don't miss that. So thanks, everyone. 
Hope everyone enjoyed this. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Have a great weekend, Ashley. And thank you again so much. You're welcome, Jajin. Have a great weekend. <laughs> Bye.